180, how are we doing? You've made it to week two, only a thousand more weeks to go. Uh, my name's Nick, and uh, I'm on staff here with Crew. I graduated from Ohio University. Doesn't matter when, you don't care, I don't want to tell you. Um, but I'm a Bobcat, and, uh, and I get the privilege of serving, yeah, full-time with Crew. And if you're here at 180 for the first time, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here, and uh, we hope that regardless of where you're at spiritually, whether you would identify as a Christian or not, we hope that... Um, that you feel comfortable here, that you feel like this is a place where you belong, where you, where you can engage and learn and bring your questions, bring the things you're wrestling through, um, and not feel like anyone has expectations of who you are or where you're at. Um, so thanks for being here with us tonight. Um, we find ourselves in the midst of a series that we started last week called Habits of Grace. And in this series, what we're looking at are uh, what have commonly been referred to as spiritual disciplines. And really all that that means is looking at ways that we can connect with God and experience his grace. Um, so things like prayer, things like reading the Bible and so forth. And the hope is that this series for you, um, if you would identify as a Christian, is that this would provide you not only with motivation in adopting these practices into your life, but even fresh perspective in how to live them out. And so tonight, we're going to talk about the habit of worship. Um, but before we get into it, I, I want to introduce you to uh, my wife and tell you about a, a recent trip we took. Um, this is my, my sweet wife, Amy. And yes, that's us in front of Hogwarts. You better believe it. Um, we went to the wizarding world of Harry Potter and uh, had a freaking awesome time, okay? Um, it's awesome. My, uh, my wife, she loves Harry Potter. I like Harry Potter, um, but you better dang believe uh, both of us got wands and I was like casting spells in, around Harry Potter world. I mean, it was freaking awesome. Uh, casting my Patronus spell, which I realized by saying that word, some of you just gained respect for me and others of you totally lost respect for me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I like was whipping spells around, making rainfall. It was, it was awesome. Um, but this was a crazy experience because this place gets a little, like, I don't know. It's crazy. Um, literally, I saw, like, full-grown adults, like, in tears walking around the park. And it, I was like, oh, did something bad happen? No, their minds were just being blown. <laughs> like, they're looking around. And it's like, oh, my gosh, it's real. Like, the leaky cauldron's real. Like, they're half expecting Hagrid to walk. Uh, sorry, I no, most of you don't maybe care about Harry Potter. I don't know. But it, it blew my mind. People were like, jaws were on the ground. And it was cool. Um, but let me, I'll show you these. Yeah, the, she was one of those people. She was psyching out, okay? Um, I didn't ask Amy to share these pictures. Sorry, Amy. I hope that's all right. Um, this is us in front of the Hogwarts Express. We were just having a good time. All right. Um, the series, though, that's what we're, that's what we're here to do. Um, but here's what it is. I, you know, when I was thinking about this experience, I think there's something about us as humans that we love to experience jaw drop moments. We love to experience awe. We love to experience wonder. It's, it's that feeling that we get when we see magic happen. And I don't mean like, you know, like pull a rabbit out of a hat magic, which maybe that does it too. But just it's this feeling that there's, there's something amazing out there. And it's part of why I think like we, we, we go to movies and we're just looking for this experience that just, you know, just lays us out. They were like, wow, that was amazing. My mind was blown. I didn't see that turn coming. I think, you know, Chad last week, my friend Chad, he was talking about Netflix series. And for him and two others of you, you really love The Crown. Um, I'm a Stranger Things guy myself. I don't know about y'all. But 
Sorry, Chad, it's true. People like that. But it's like, isn't Stranger Things, I mean, there's just something like, yeah, it's a thriller, and it's just, you know, you're waiting for every turn. It just captures your imagination. And I think that there's something about that that is by design, that there's, there's a way in which God has created us that we're meant to experience awe. These moments where we're, we're leaning forward, we can't believe what we're seeing. Uh, we're meant to really have that awe filled by God himself. You know, what the scriptures tell us is that worship isn't something that we do. I know that when we think about worship, we think about bowing down, all that. Yeah, that's, that's like a physical manifestation of it. But worship isn't something you and I do. Worshippers are what we are. And what that means is, is that whether or not you would call yourself a Christian, you are a worshiper. And the question isn't if you worship, it's who or what you worship. And if it's not God, who or what is it? In the Bible, it's, it's filled with all these commands to worship God. Matthew 4, worship God. Psalm 95, come let us bow down and worship. I could go on and on. The greatest commandment in the Bible is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so worship isn't just singing, it's treasuring. It's adoring. It's worth-ship. It's ascribing worth to someone or something. That's what worship actually is, to consider something worthy of praise. And here's what's amazing about the Christian life, I think, that, that makes it really unique, is that the Bible says that, yes, we're called to worship God, but the way that we do that is by enjoying God. You get that? that the way that we worship God is by enjoying him. The Westminster Catechism, which, don't worry about that, but it asks this question. It says, what is the chief end of man? What's the purpose of man? And the response is, the, the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. That's awesome. And I think that that's really good news for us. In one sense, that's liberating, because here's what that says. God wants you to be happy. That's good news. I don't know about you, I don't know, maybe you don't know that, but God actually wants you to be happy. Here's the bad news about that, maybe for some of us, or perhaps not, it's not bad, it's just hard to hear. God wants you to be happy, but he wants you to be happy in him. And for some of us, we feel like, how does that even coexist? Happy, me being happy and me being happy in God, that feels like happiness is elsewhere. And that's part of what's fallen about us, is that for a lot of us, if we're honest, maybe you're here and you're a Christian, maybe you would say, I, I frequently feel little or no emotion towards God. I don't feel awe or wonder about God. And for a lot of us, our hearts have become disenchanted. You know, we live in a world where hearts can be 3D printed now. And in a world that 3D, hearts can be printed by a 3D printer, how do we remain enchanted with God? We've become so disillusioned. Frankly, a lot of us are just really bored. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, oh, God, whatever. We sing this song a thousand. You know, it's just, we're just bored. I've heard it all. We're so familiar with everything. Or maybe some of you sit here and you feel really guilty where you look at the person next to you and it feels like they're singing their heart out and you're just like, I don't, I'm not feeling it. And you wonder, is there something wrong with me? Or maybe this is God's fault that I don't feel that way. But the fact of the matter is, is that all of us were called to worship God, to treasure him, to enjoy him above all else. And so there's two questions I want for us to look at tonight. The first question is this, is why does our awe of God matter? 
Like, why does enjoying Jesus, why does treasuring God matter? And then the second question I want to ask is, how can the habits of grace help us enjoy God more? So why does it matter, and how can our habits help us enjoy God more? So let's pray and ask God to meet us and speak to us during this time. Father, I thank you for each person in here tonight. And Lord, it is my prayer that you would speak to each one of them uniquely. I pray that if they're feeling distracted by now, uh, right now as things are going on outside this room, I pray that you would remove those distractions and that they could listen for you. I pray that you would speak through me, Father. I pray that you would help me um, to use me uh, and to help my friends here. And pray, God, that you would be glorified through our time together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the first question. Why does enjoying God, and I'm just going to use this phrase kind of similarly, our awe of God, enjoying God, that whole idea, it's the same idea. But why does enjoying Jesus matter? In the passage I want to look at first tonight, honestly, freaks me out a little bit. I'm not just saying that. I think it's actually a pretty scary passage. Um, And it's a passage in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Here's what Jesus says there. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to him, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think this is a terrifying passage. It's honestly one that every time I come across it, it unsettles me. Because here's what's actually happening here. Jesus is telling us is that there, he's, he's addressing a group of people who call him Lord, who call him God. These are probably people that would call themselves Christians. They even have done great things in the name of Jesus. They say, they say that they've cast out demons. They've prophesied in Jesus' name. They've done all these things, and Jesus says they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what's their reaction? Can you tell what emotion they're feeling as they're hearing this? What is the emotion? Shock. Dumbfound. What? I mean, they, they were not expecting to hear these words. They didn't see this coming. They said, what? We, we did all these things? And think about it, this for a moment. I mean, I've just, as I've read this passage so often, I've wondered, who are these people? Like, who are these people that Jesus is talking to? Frankly, I've wondered, is this me? Is this you? Is this us that sit in this room? I mean, people who would call themselves Christians, maybe we go to a Bible study, maybe you try to talk to your friends about Jesus, you've, you've kind of tried to do the right things. Uh, and yet Jesus says to them, what's his indictment? He says, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Away from me. And he calls them workers of lawlessness. And I think that there's a lot of things we could say about this passage, but here's, here's one thing I take away from this text, and maybe you should too, is, is this, is that one of the lessons of this text is it's saying that professing belief in Jesus and calling him God 
is not enough and has no value in God's eyes if it does not translate into obedience to his will. So in essence, it doesn't matter if I say, Jesus, I believe you're God, and I'm going to do all these things for you, but if, it, if, it's, if I profess belief in Jesus, God doesn't see that as valuable unless it translates into worship and obedience in my own life. Now look at this another way. Jesus makes this statement in another place. He's speaking to really religious people in this passage. He says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. And so again, Jesus acknowledges a group of religious people who say the right things. They say the right things. There's honor on my lips towards Jesus. And yet Jesus says, their heart is far from them and their worship is vain. Vain. Nothing. It doesn't matter. And so these, I don't know about you, I, I feel the heaviness on the room because it's like, it's, it's, I find myself where I'm like, man, I feel like that could be me. I think sometimes that maybe is me, that my heart is so far from God, that I'm so indifferent, that I relate to God in the same way I relate to gravity. Yeah, I know you're there. I'll play by the rules. I won't go jump off a building, but like, I don't feel any love for gravity. And so here's the thing is that what, is, what happens when we lose our awe of God? Like if, you're, if you would call yourself a Christian, what happens to your Christianity, your, your being a Christian if you lose your awe of God? Well, I think part of it, what happens is that if you don't have affection for God and you live out the Christian life, pretty much Christianity just becomes a code of conduct for you. It, it's a set of what you should do and what you should not do. And so everything is a duty and never a delight. So let me illustrate this for a moment. So um, my wife and I, we got married on July 24th. So let's imagine July 24th is rolling around and it's our anniversary. And I decide I want, I'm going to go uh, buy a bunch of flowers for her. And so I buy her all of these flowers, beautiful tulips, and I bring them home and I set them before her and she lights up. She says, Nick, wow, why did you do that? And I say, it's my duty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean, why did I do that? I'm your husband. This is what husbands do. This is what I should do. It's my duty. So here's my question. How's my wife going to feel? Like, what the heck is wrong with you? Like, and so here's the question. Does the fact that I bought her flowers because it was my duty, does that honor her? No. In fact, to do that duty for her, to, to buy her flowers and to do it just out of duty and to give them to her, it's actually insulting. It actually amplifies that I'm only doing it out of my sense of duty and has nothing to do with my delight in her. It doesn't actually honor her at all. It belittles her. It's actually a representation of how little I actually do feel for her. You get that? And yet, how much do we do that with God? That in the absence of our delight, we do all of these things just because it's our duty to. In the same way that an empty gift for my wife doesn't honor her, an empty performance for God does not honor him. You get that? 
An empty gift for my wife doesn't honor her. An empty performance for God does not honor the Lord. And so when our feelings for God are dead, our worship is dead. It's dead. So here, here's the thing is that when we think about worship, it's not, it's not primarily an outward thing. It's an inward thing. It's pretty amazing. Psalm 37.4 gives a command and it says, delight in the Lord. You're to delight in the Lord in God. You're to treasure Jesus, to enjoy him. And that's the, what true faith is. So many of us, when we think about faith, we just think, oh yeah, like if I'm, if, you know, I'm going to go vote for which, which person I think in history is God, I'm going to vote Jesus. Therefore, I have faith in Jesus. But that's not the way the scriptures talk about faith. The way that the Bible talks about faith is that true faith doesn't choose Jesus, it cherishes him. That in essence, when I think about Jesus, God becoming flesh, God becoming a man, God going to a cross and dying in my place for my sin and paying the debt that I owe, I don't just believe, but I, I actually am in awe. How could God come and die for someone like me? Why would God love me like that? That there's actually emotion. I actually see something, when I think about Jesus doing that for me, I see something beautiful. I actually feel something. True faith doesn't just choose Jesus, it cherishes him. It sees him as glorious, wonderful, beautiful, worthy of our adoration and our praise. And so the way that we honor God in our worship is not to say it's my duty, but to say it's my delight. Of course. It's my joy to worship you, God. It's not saying and doing the right things. It's delighting in who he is. So you get that? Do you get how just doing things just to do them doesn't actually honor God? So here's, here's where I want to move. So now that we've seen, this is what happens though. When we, when we don't have that enjoyment of God, Christianity just becomes just pure duty. But how can the habits of grace help us experience awe? Of God, How can things like prayer and reading our Bible, how does it actually stir up in us affection for God? Because that's actually what we need. Well, first, you got to realize how the gospel informs how we approach things like prayer and things like reading our Bibles and going to church and all these kinds of things. Because so often when we think about go to church, read your Bible, go to Bible study, da-da-da-da, you can just picture like, you know, I don't know, some nasty teacher wagging her finger at you, saying, haven't you done, read your Bible today? Haven't you done that? That's what good Christians do. And so, so often our motivation to do them is just out of a sense of guilt, a sense of should. You ever had someone should on you? You should do that. You should do, they should on you. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> should all over you. <laughs> but that's not the gospel. I'm glad you like that. That's good. <laughs> But that's not the gospel because here's what it is. When we think about the gospel message, what the gospel message is, is that God doesn't want you to do things to impress him. You don't need to impress God with your good behavior, your, your Christianity. Jesus has already impressed God for you. And so this, these habits of grace, reading my Bible and prayer, it's not to get God to like me more. Those are, they're actually not an obligation at all. They're an invitation. Reading my Bible is an invitation to come hear from the God of the universe. Prayer is an invitation for me to come speak 
to the God of the universe. The gospel begins with God's love for us. And so the spiritual disciplines aren't an obligation. They're an invitation for us to come and enjoy Jesus. You should approach your Bible with the desire to want to know Jesus more and enjoy him. Not because you have to. Not because he'll like you more. I come to the Bible because I want to know him and be known by him. I want to hear him. I want to experience intimacy with God. You shouldn't wonder why God feels so far from you sometimes. He has realized if you never spend time with God, of course he's going to feel far. And then you expect to come in a place like this and you're like, well, I didn't experience God tonight probably because the band was crap and the speaker was crap too. Maybe if we had a better speaker and a better band, I'd experience God. Yeah, right, man. It's you. You're the problem. It might be me. It's not the band, but, it, it, but it's definitely you, okay? But you know what I mean? It's like you, you bring these desires, you come to a conference or retreat, and you want your, your face melted off. And you expect that that's someone else's job. But it has to do with you. Look at what Paul says about, not about this, but look at, look at this reality that he says here. He says, he says, our outer selves are wasting away, but our inner selves are being renewed day by day. How? So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Did you just hear the crazy statement he just said? Look not to the things that are seen. Look. He just said, see what you can't see. Look at what you can't see, is what he says. He says, because those things are trans- the things that are seen are transient, and the unseen things are eternal. And here's what's interesting. So many of us, why are, why are we so, uh, we, I would rather um, pick up this than pick up this. Why? Because when I look at this, I feel like I'm staring at a wall. When really what this is meant to do is be a window in which I can see through, and I can actually see a greater reality through it. Because Paul's telling me what I see right here is passing by, but you know which window I'd rather look through is this one. I'd rather spend hours and hours staring through this window than actually engage in this one because this one's a heck of a lot more entertaining and helps you know, me cope with my own boredom. But Paul's saying you need to look at things that you can't see. And that's, what, that's where this book comes in. It's not a wall, it's a window through which we're able to look through and actually see reality for what it actually is. The reason that our affection for God is so stale, that your, your emotions, your affections for God are so stale, is because you've developed habits and you've developed practices and rhythms of your life that prime your heart to doubt and disbelief. Because the habits that you have, that you and I have, bring us more, we are, really our habits are oftentimes no different than those who aren't even would call themselves Christians. We practice the same, we have the same rhythms they do. Wake up, pull up my phone. Okay, take 1,200 selfies in a day. All right, I'm gonna go watch someone's Instagram story because my life's boring right now. Maybe someone else's life is more exciting. And we just keep doing the same habits and practices. And it's almost as if, apart from going to Bible study, apart from coming to 180, you live your life as if God isn't there. That's the habit that you practice. You may profess to believe that God's there, but the the habits, the way that you live your life is if he's not there. Because if you believed he was there, you would pray and you would talk to him. 
If you believed he was there, you would believe that when you open this book, he would speak to you. But to neglect them entirely is to neglect relationship with him. It's to neglect even affection for him and the ability to worship him. And so you and I, what you need to do, you need to embrace a different story. You need to inhabit a different reality. And what I mean by that, to inhabit a different reality, is I think that there's something amazing that happens when I actually open this book. And I don't want you to get the impression that, like, every time I open this book, my, like, circuits blow in my brain. It doesn't happen frequently, actually. But here's what it does. That when I actually take the time to open this book, I'm, I'm telling myself and I'm telling the world around me, God is real. God is speaking. God is at work. It actually tells me that when I look out here, this isn't it. That there's something greater going on. There's unseen things taking place. It's the same thing that happens when I actually pray and I actually take the time to do it is because what I'm saying when I pray is this isn't it. There's a greater power. There's a greater reality going on and I'm inhabiting it right now as I do these habits. Does that make sense? You're actually you're living in a way as if Jesus is actually king and sitting on the throne. I assure you, life will feel different. Your relationship with God will feel different because that's what these habits are. They're pathways to experiencing the grace of God. They're ways of reorienting our lives into a different story and immersing ourselves in that story. You see, so many of us, we, we, again, we, we profess to believe in Jesus and yet our lives functionally are like, like negligibly different than anyone else. Like nothing is really different in how we practice the habits we have and the values we have. So little. But instead, what do we do? What do I renew my mind with? Why well, I renew my mind with social media and the news, which I just watch the news and it's like, well, what's the story there? The story there is the world's collapsing and it's every politician's freaking fault. And like the world's terror, you know, corrupt. And some of those things are really true. But also Paul's, that's why Paul says, see what you can't see. Engage in the greater reality. You see, the ultimate aim of the Christian life, the ultimate aim of the Christian life is not obey God. Obey God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's to love God, enjoy God, treasure God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the most, I think the most beautiful thing is that God desires our joy. He desires our joy. He, is, he desires your eternal joy to such a degree that he was willing to come and become a man and die for it, to secure it for you. The difference is that we've thought we can find joy apart from him, outside of him, in other places. And you see the habits of grace, why they're significant, why, if you would call yourself a Christian, why you need to engage in them is because they let you inhabit a reality that fuels your worship of God. They let you inhabit a reality that fuels your worship of God. So I want to end by just giving you just a few points of maybe some application. Like, what does this actually mean besides just read my Bible? Because when it comes to worship, I think that the, the fuel for worship is gratitude. You see, it's like, I think that when, when there's no lack of, when you, when you feel no gratitude, you, it's really difficult to feel joy about anything. And I think that, uh, I think this is, listen to this verse real quick. Paul, Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians, he says, whether you eat or drink, do whatever you do to the glory of God. How does one eat to the glory of God? 
You ever think about that? It's easy when you're eating bacon. You're like, oh, yeah, uh, there is a God because bacon. <laughs> but, but think about this. He says, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. So let me give you something I think I, I found really helpful is that so, for so many of us, we short circuit our worship. In essence, when we're enjoying something, a lot of times we'll just enjoy that thing and be impressed with that thing. So I think about, I'll just give you the example of like my wife and I think about her and I'm like, man, I could be, man, my wife, it's so, I'm so grateful that I have a wife who loves me, who's kind to me. And my gratitude could just end with her. But what I think actually should happen is as I'm, great, as I'm grateful for her, it should roll up into worship of the God who created her. God, how kind of you to bring her into my life. God, how kind of you to allow me to live this long, to be able to experience marriage with, you, with her. How kind of you. I mean, I think about eating an apple, and you taste the tartness of it, and you're like, oh, whatever, it's an apple. Well, you know what? It could all taste like dirt, all of it, all of it, every bit of it, dirt. And yet God, in his kindness, in his grace, to show you what he's like, gave you taste buds, to taste sweets and sours. God, how creative you are to give me this fruit that like doesn't have to be wrapped in a wrapper. It has like a personal wrapper that it was like created with and I can just buy, you know, whatever. Like, God, that's awesome. It rolls up into worship. God, thank you for my friends that you've placed in my life. God, thank you that you brought me to Ohio University and let me be a bobcat and not a red hawk. God, how, it's always an easy jab. It's easy. It's easy. But do you get what I'm saying? Like, does, does your gratitude for things roll up into worship? Because it should. God, thank you for music. God, thank you for those beats. God, thank you that I have fingers in whatever number of them you have. I don't know. Maybe you don't have 10. It's all right. Thanks for the other nine. But you see, I think gratitude is the fuel of worship. And so if you find yourself with no affection or feeling for God, perhaps you should consider if you're, gra if you're grateful at all for anything. We short-circuit our worship. And so these habits, I want you to know, a lot of times we need to do these habits and trust the feelings will follow. I don't want to give you the impression that this is some kind of shortcut, but sometimes I don't, want to, I don't want to give duty the worst rap. I think duty is good because it causes us to show up and do what we should do. But if it's only duty that fuels your relationship with God, something significant's missing because you were meant to enjoy God. And so as you think about these habits and as we continue in this series and my friend Brian comes and talks more about the habit of reading scripture, know that we do them because the, the point of doing them is to enjoy Jesus to enjoy Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's what you were created for. It's who you were created for. It's who I'm created for. And for us to seek life and joy outside of him won't last. You were created to enjoy God forever and let that be a liberating thing for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have created us uh, to know you and to enjoy you. And God, each of us confess that we, we can acknowledge that we haven't enjoyed you as we should. And so, Lord, I pray that for my friends here tonight, that maybe they find themselves wondering, man, as I think about that passage, I don't know if Jesus would know me. Or maybe they're here and 
they've never placed their faith in you. Lord, I think that what's wonderful is that we don't have to climb a spiritual ladder to get close to you, that you actually want to meet us, draw near to us, so we can experience you, love you. And so, Lord, I pray for those, those people here that I pray that they would make the decision to place their faith in Christ, that they would see that you love them, that you died to forgive whatever they've done, that you offer life to them, that you offer joy to them. I pray for those of us who are living double lives, that we're professing with our mouths that we believe in Jesus, and yet we deny him in our disobedience. I think about addictions to sin that have remained hidden, or maybe sin that we've just continued just to indulge in, though we know we shouldn't. God, would you cause our worship and treasuring of you to manifest itself to put those things away? I pray that we would love you more than our sin. And so, Lord, would you help us? Would you meet us? Would you cause our hearts to be stirred up to love you as we should? In Jesus' name, amen.